that is not our theme music. Although I do kind of like the way it makes me feel mellow, man. This is too mellow for us. This is On the Edge, brought to you by the good people at Business Edge News Magazine. And me. And you. I'm Rob Driscoll. And I'm Kelly Ryan, one of the truly good. That music is from the soundtrack of the movie Rice Boy Sleeps. Today we will share our interview with Anthony Shim, a young film director from Vancouver. His bilingual film about an immigrant mother and the struggles she and her son face is getting lots of attention. Rice Boy Sleeps won the Platform Prize at the Toronto International Film Festival this year as the finest example of bold directorial vision in the competition. That scene is one example of racism the young boy faces at school. Anthony Shim has some interesting comments about how he wanted to frame the racism he and his mom faced, because this film is largely autobiographical. Of course, when we talked with Anthony, we wanted to start with what it was like when he learned he'd won the Platform Prize. Going to my hotel pretty late at night and had been drinking some wine, and (laughs) Steve Gravestock called me. And he just said, guess what? You won the platform prize. And I was like, it's so noisy. And I was like, what did you say? I won? Like, <laughs> yeah, it was so surreal. Did you have any expectations? No, no. I didn't think we'd find out until Sunday whether we won or not. And so this was, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but this was like Friday, maybe Thursday. I think it was Friday. And then... So it was like at least a couple of days before. So I, I, like, I didn't expect that call. And also I, I figured we had a shot like most of the films, but I figured it was a real long shot for us to actually win. But I was wrong. Against how many were you competing? How many ten, nominated? 10, ten films in, in, in the competition. Okay. Yeah. And $20,000. That's a lot of money. It's not bad. What are you going to do with it? He probably spent it all in Toronto that night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I, I haven't gotten it yet. Honestly, when you make low-budget independent films for four or five years, you don't wind up a rich person by the end of it. It'll go towards much-needed living costs. How hard is it to fund a movie? I've been trying to make films since, I, since my early 20s, but just didn't really know how because of exactly what you're asking about how, how does one fund movies. And there's a couple of routes that you can take to do it. One of, the, one of the routes has to do with making short films. And I just, I couldn't get into any of these short film competitions. I couldn't get any of the short film funding. And uh, I just, I just, just rejected time and time again. And I figured I'm just not a very good short film writer to begin with, which I think is totally fine. I compare it to the difference between writing poetry and writing a novel, just because you might be good at one thing and terrible at the other, and that's okay. I grew up doing theater. I, I directed and wrote, or I directed and produced a lot of theater growing up throughout my 20s. Through that, I figured I would try and make a feature film before making short films. And uh, we just raised a just small amount of money from a, an angel donor, and we made the first film. And then that 
did just well enough and gave me just enough confidence to try and make something of a higher budget, a bigger scale and bigger budget, which was Rice Boy Sleeps. And really, if you're making independent feature films in Canada, you're you're very reliant on Telefilm Canada's support. And they were the biggest, they were the biggest and the first domino piece that had to fall in order for this to happen. Had they not accepted the, the project, I wouldn't have made it. So luckily they came on board really early and that allowed us to then scramble and frantically try and secure the rest of the financing, which involves a combination of pre-licensing deals with Crave and CBC, as well as getting a chunk of equity financing investment. And then the final chunk of it came from tax credits. What was the total budget for the film? I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say it oh, Okay. as we are still in the sales process and it does, it can affect. Okay. That's fair. I've heard. So I'm just to be safe. I'm going to not tell you the exact number, but it was, <laughs> it was not a ton. Of, it was not a lot of money. Wasn't a Spielberg level budget. I don't think we had, I think Spielberg's movies probably spend more on catering <laughs> than what we had. So when you were pitching Rice Boy Sleeps to potential investors, what was your pitch? It was it was the script and the pitch deck that I made. I just let that speak for itself. I basically was pitching this as a film about a single Korean immigrant mother and her son and their struggles growing up in the 90s and ultimately their way back home to Korea. And I was wanting to make something as personal and honest as possible without without flowering anything up or glorifying or embellishing anything, but just to tell the most honest story possible and trying to tell a story, the most beautiful story I could about the, the sacrifices and the undying love of a parent towards the child. And so I try to capture those things into the script, into the writing and into the pitch deck that I made. And people responded very positively to it from the get-go. So that that was encouraging to keep going and keep writing and keep evolving the script. Did you enjoy the writing process? I love the solitary nature of it, but I didn't, I can't say I enjoyed writing the script. It was filled. Most days were filled with me just telling myself that I can't do this and you know how much it sucks and <laughs> nobody wants to watch a movie about your childhood it was just a lot of doubt and a lot of just me battling my own fears and insecurities. And because it was so personal that it was hard to stay neutral about the feedback too. I think I was just a little bit more sensitive to people's comments about my writing of the script. So it was difficult. And I just, yeah, there was a good chunk of time where I just didn't think this was going to be something that was worth watching. And then you have these little mini breakthroughs and, and then that gives you enough. That gave me just enough, you know, encouragement to just keep going and you chip away. You're a writer, you're a fundraiser, you're a director, you're an actor, like you're wearing all these different hats. What do you consider your first love or your first calling, if you will? The gateway drug, so to speak, for me was do was it was acting on stage. I joined a drama class when I entered high school because my mom, she loved theater. 
and she loves music and she loves the arts and she, and I was terribly shy and introverted growing up and was not able to speak in front of people. And she thought this might really help overcome those challenges. And so she signed me up for drama class and for some weird reason, I just took to it right away. And being on stage, playing a character, saying these lines in front of an audience just felt like the most liberating thing I'd ever experienced. And I quickly fell in love with plays. And so then while doing that, I guess I was just without really, because I never went to film school. I never went to proper theater school. And I just, I loved working on these stories and these productions with my friends. That slowly turned into me just acting in, and that turned into me directing them. And then I was also producing them. And I was also the lighting designer. I was the costume designer, the set designer, along with my friends who were, who'd all chip in. But I didn't know that there were titles for these things. I just thought that's what one <laughs> does in making a production. And before I knew it, I was wearing all these hats without realizing I was. And so that approach just translated into filmmaking as well for me. I learned how to edit because I was really fascinated in putting moving pictures together to music. And I thought that was just, it was just a fun hobby I had while I was also cutting audition tapes for actors as a side hustle. I knew, already knew how to cut pictures together using the software. So then I thought I'd just do that because I couldn't afford a professional editor to work on my first film for as little money as we had. And so I thought I would do a lot of the legwork, the time consuming stuff and and then I just never stopped because I never learned to fall in love with these things as a separate job, but I fell in love with the entire process of it. I love that. Who was the first character you ever played in your theater class? <laughs> oh, man. I believe the play was called, it was called Juvie. And as you can imagine, it had to do with a group of juvenile delinquents. And I played this teenager who liked to, to smash things and burn things. I fell in love during that process. Nice. So what kind of impact do you think winning this prize will have on your career? I don't know, to be honest. That's, I guess I'll find out as time goes on. But to be honest, I had a lot of doors start to open for me and I had a lot more opportunities start to present themselves even before the award announcement. Um, I think it's, if anything, I think it'll help a lot with the film in reaching more audiences and its distribution and sales, which is amazing because it's, we really need every bit of help that we can get because it's a small independent film with no famous stars and an unknown filmmaker. But for me personally, I think it was already just the fact that we were in the competition, started getting people interested. I think the award helps probably with sales distribution. Maybe two years from now, I'll be reaping the benefits of this award. But right now, I'm not too sure. Anthony, back to your directing style. I really enjoyed the long takes and I did not, I've not seen your first film, but is that something that you feel is part of your style or you just felt that it was appropriate for this project? I would say it's a combination of the two because I did start in the theater directing theater where 
you experience everything in real time. You can't, that's the main difference between a live show and cinema is that in filmmaking, you're able to edit and able to manipulate time and space. On stage, you cannot do that. But at the same time, what's really beautiful about live performance in theater is that the audience has to experience the emotional life of the characters in real time with them. Nothing is manipulated. If an actor is experiencing something for real in that moment, the audience gets to experience that. And it is as real as anything one can experience. And I thought the way I write, they are longer scenes and they do allow characters to evolve and experience the moment in real time. I thought I'd, I'd love to shoot it that way as well and block the actors in a way. You create the scene in a way where it is all quite mapped out involving the camera and the actors. And so that that's something that I feel like I, I had a lot of practice doing. So I wanted to implement it into my filmmaking style. But then also the subject matter and the style of this movie, I wanted the audience to be able to experience this journey with these characters as though you're there with them. And that there isn't a director manipulating the scenes between the characters and the audience, but that the director is out and the audience is the one right there moving with the people, experiencing, hearing, seeing, and, and what is what you get. I think you achieved that beautifully. Thank you. Do you have a favorite moment from TIFF other than getting the call in the Uber and struggling to hear what they're saying? Favorite moment. There were so many great moments, but I think seeing the film for the first time with an audience. And we also had our, a lot of, a bunch of our cast and crew come out and our two lead boys, neither of them had seen the film. Oh, wow. uh, and Noel, our little one, he never, he, this is his first film. So he never actually seen himself on screen before. And the first time doing so was in front of hundreds of people at Tiff Bell Lightbox in this gorgeous movie theater and walking the red carpet right before. And so just, just to experience that with these people that were on this journey with me. And I had a lot of really close friends and family attending that, that screening as well. And the reception was so great. I don't think I'll ever forget it. Really enjoyed how you presented the racial side of things and it wasn't too in your face, but it was all, we've all seen, whether it was on the playground or in the classroom, we've all seen that sort of behavior. And it, I'm wondering, I know it's a very personal film for you, but did you face a lot of that growing up? And was this an important part of the story to you? I did experience all the things that the character of Donghan experiences. That's all based on personal experiences. And it was important to include it, not because I wasn't trying to make a film about racism. I wasn't trying to say, look at these poor immigrant victims. And I wasn't trying to vilify or demonize the other characters. I was, what I really wanted to do and why it was important was because I wanted to show how grown up during that time and how, it, how all of that trying to fit into a new culture, a new society, shapes and affects immigrants and it, and not necessarily for bad because in their time growing up living in canada these characters at least for the character soyoung she's she's relatively happy and she's got people that for the first time in her life she can call family she's got a community of people that care for her and love her as more than anyone else has ever loved and cared for her 
So I think oftentimes that point gets lost in this film because there is a lot of really heavy, heavy, difficult things that occur to the character. But in that difficult journey, she actually makes it out pretty well, minus the other stuff that comes up. But And that this child, this young boy, dealing with these things, it forced him to have to become two separate identities and ultimately find one that's a combination of those two identities. And so in order to show that, you have to show the experience of both cultures. Challenges of being at school, but also challenges with his own mother at home. Yeah. Again, I think you succeeded on that. You didn't make it a victimization scenario and you didn't make it look like they were entering a culture that gave them no chance. And, but it, it did show the challenges. Do you have another project that you've started on or what's next? I actually did start working on a new script prior to TIFF because there was a bit of a break there where I was just waiting to see what would happen with this film and where it would go and how it may or may not change my career. And so I figured, hey, I, bet, I better just have something ready to go in case nobody cares to watch this movie. And so I did start writing something. It's inspired by all of these articles and news that I was hearing throughout the pandemic about these random acts of violence towards Asian Americans and Canadians. And it was very difficult to hear about it and read about these things and not feel some kind of way about it. If I'm fortunate enough as a Korean Canadian, as an Asian person in North America, who is fortunate enough to be able to have the medium of filmmaking as a way of sharing stories and getting a message out there. I feel a certain amount of responsibility to, to touch on current, current events. And this, I felt, I feel like I can't really ignore it. It's just a little too immediate for me. And I don't see this going away. And so I'm working on a script on a film that set in Chinatown during the pandemic era. Chinatown, Vancouver? Ideally, I'd like to set it in Chinatown, San Francisco, because I think it's a bigger, they have a richer, longer history there. And just visually, I think it allows for more interesting storytelling. And also ch the challenge with Chinatown is that so much of it's changed that there's a lot of Chinatown that doesn't even really feel like Chinatown anymore. And if somebody was thinking of investing in your film, because we are a business magazine, the business of film is a hard one. It is. Why should people want to invest in small films by independent filmmakers? I've always felt like the theater and cinema are part of an entertainment business. They serve a role not too dissimilar from, in my opinion, journalism, in that we are telling honest, true stories and commentary about the society we live in today. In some ways, I feel like storytelling, fictional storytelling, allows for more truth than journalism at times. And so if you care about stories existing, honest stories existing, I think 
smaller budget films are able to achieve things that larger budget films can't do, which is that larger budget films just by nature, because there's more money invested, they have to appeal to a, a larger audience. Smaller budgets are able to target more daring, bolder, challenging topics because smaller budget independent films don't have as much pressure to recoup tens and hundreds of millions of dollars. And so if anyone feels that there's a place and an importance for that kind of story, those types of stories in our society today, then I think it's, please, independent cinema needs it. We have Telephone Canada, which is incredible, but beyond that, it is tough to make movies. You always have not enough money to really execute your film well, and no one is getting paid what they should, like a living wage. And then a lot of times you're just not well equipped to bounce back from mistakes and errors and, un, and unforeseeable difficulties. And so when you can't bounce back from those, the films suffer ultimately by the final product. And then you go, oh, look how bad this movie is. Why should we support another movie like that? And so it's just the cycle of, you know, always having just so much stacked against us. So then for a film like ours to even get to where we got to, it, it required so many miracles. Like from the financial stage, it was a miracle that we had the people that got involved when they did. Yeah, it was just, it was by chance, it was by luck, but it was by, but just good fortune. And so I don't know what the answer is, how to make Canadian independent cinema, the film industry operate in a way that is sustainable and that makes financial sense. I'm not sure what the answer is. That's Anthony Shim, the director of Rice Boy Sleeps, which will be released in movie theaters in 2023. And this is On the Edge, our regular podcast that features Canadian business leaders. If you want to talk to us, drop us a line at info at businessedgemedia.ca. And don't forget to check out the monthly magazine. The digital version can be found at businessedgemedia.ca, and you might see the physical magazine around your neighborhood. We deliver it to more than 100,000 businesses coast to coast. Once again, you're listening to On the Edge. I'm Rob Driscoll. And I'm Kelly Ryan. Thanks for tuning in. 